0: You know, I'm going to try to describe for you what is actually happening in the text before which we look this morning. Uh, there's a man named Simon Peter, or if you're looking at an ESV, Simeon Peter is the same guy. If you know your Bible stories and your Sunday school classes, you know that Simon Peter was a man who actually betrayed Jesus Christ. He denied him. But now Peter has come of age, and he is writing to these believers in the first century who are going through an incredible amount of suffering and they are on the verge of giving up their own faith. Uh, Because there are some in that day who were saying that the parousia is not going to come. The coming, the second coming of Jesus is not going to happen. Uh, Basically what they're saying is that this is all you've got. This is all you have. There will not be a return of Jesus Christ back into history. And so Peter writes to them to remind them that With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. And in a moment, everything can change because the God of creation can return back to history, and everything we know to be true today will be changed forever. Peter tells us, Christians, be ready. Be ready. Because he said that the return of Jesus Christ will be like a thief in the night. Let me ask you a question this morning as we get started. If a thief is going to walk into your house and break into your house and steal your goods, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you believe that they're going to send you a text or give you a Facebook message or an Instagram note to let you know they're coming to rob your house? It's not going to happen. The element of surprise is the weapon of the thief. He comes to surprise you. He comes to surprise you. Well, Jesus is coming as a thief in the night. There will be an element of surprise. He's coming to surprise us. Now, Peter is going to say that something dramatic has happened in history. I'm sure you guys have heard this before because I know that Josh teaches the Bible and he teaches the Bible systematically. So you, I'm sure, have heard of the four pillars of history. First, there is the creation. God created the world, that is. There was nothing, and in the beginning, out of nothing, God spoke, and everything that came into being, came into being by the spoken word of God. Creation. But we also know that there's a second movement in history, which is the fall. Man fell from his righteousness and from his original design in which God created him, to be holy and righteous and good. And then the third pillar of history, redemption. Jesus Christ was born, and we sang about this just a while ago, Uh, Jesus was born into history to redeem man from our sin and to give us back our God identity. And then we know that it's ultimately going to be a restoration of all things because Jesus Christ is coming back again in power and great glory and he's going to redeem all of history. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans in chapter 8 that all creation is groaning for its redemption. There's something in us we know is not the way it was meant to be. And so Peter Is saying to these Christians to wait for and hasten the return of Jesus Christ back into history. The word that Peter uses here is a Greek word that actually means to run alongside of. He says that you and I must run alongside Jesus' rhythm in history. That Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes, he wants to see a church that is fully engaged in running alongside him as we pursue lost sinners, as we love God, as we love our neighbor, as we love ourselves, and as we point people to salvation, just as we heard earlier from Annie and what she's doing in Africa, pointing people to Christ so that all the world could be redeemed because one of these days, Jesus Christ is coming back in power and in great glory. You open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 21 and you see the scene. And you don't have to turn there this morning unless you want to. Uh, But Jesus is coming and he says, I'm going to make all things new. That's restoration. That is restoration. And so this morning, the kingdom of God has come. It has come in the person of Jesus, it has come in the coming of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus Christ left this earth in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says that after his resurrection, that he went proclaiming the kingdom of God. He talked to them about the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God over creation. And how is it that God is ruling over creation but through you and I who are the redeemed of God. You see, the spirit of God now dwells in us. And through the spirit of God, we are calling all of history to Christ. We're calling the lost to Christ. We're loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're doing all the work that needs to be done to bring people into the kingdom of God because one of these days, Jesus is splitting the clouds and returning for a redeemed church. So the question is how do we prepare for this coming kingdom of Jesus Christ back into history? The kingdom that already is through the witness of his people, but the kingdom that is coming in its full manifestation when Jesus Christ comes back a second time into history. The first thing we need to see this morning from the text that John has already read for us is that we need to live with a kingdom-centric posture. We need to live with a kingdom-minded posture. What do I mean by that? What I'm trying to get across to you this morning is that we need to run alongside Jesus and his purposes for our lives. We need to run alongside Jesus and his purposes for our lives. You know, in the rabbinic tradition, the rabbi's teaching was crafted in such a way to help people halak. The the, the Hebrew word here is the word that means to walk. God's purpose for us is to walk with him. And that was the exact enterprise of the rabbi. It wasn't about what you thought. It was all about how you lived. It wasn't about what you knew. It was all about how you walk in the path of righteousness. And so to be in the kingdom of God is to walk with the king. To be in the kingdom of God is to actually walk with the king, to walk with God. And that is exactly what God has for each of us this morning, to walk with him. But you know, Christchurch, many today have an empire mindset about our lives here on earth. You know, in the empire, it's about power, isn't it? But in the kingdom, we are giving away power. In the empire, it's about what works. In the kingdom, it's about what is true. In the empire, it's about me. In the kingdom of God, it's about others. And so we see the difference between empire thinking and kingdom thinking. And Peter says, before we go any further, he said, let us check ourselves to see if we're even in the faith. He said, let us have a little check with ourselves. He says, Check yourself and see in chapter 1 and verse 3 through 8, Peter says, confirm your calling. He says, make sure that you're actually a Christian. Make sure that you're actually in, in the kingdom of God. Make sure that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. You remember when the disciples came to Jesus after they had done some pretty amazing signs and wonders. And do you know what Jesus says to them? Jesus says, do not marvel at these things that you're doing, but marvel that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life said, so that is the great thing we need to know. We need to make sure that we are in the kingdom of God. The question is, how do you know that you're in the, in the kingdom of God? How do you know that you're running with Jesus? How do you know you're walking with Jesus? Here's the question. What are you connected to? What are you connected to? What are we connected to? In other words, where do we spend our time? You're going to, you're going to know who you're walking with, by where you spend your time. Are you in the Word? Are we in the Word? Are we in Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, everywhere else there is TikTok? I haven't gotten into TikTok yet, but I know it's popular these days. Where Where are we connected? How are we connected? Are we connected to a small group of people giving life to one another, fellowshipping together, or are we just are there on our own doing life on our own? Peter says to confirm your calling. You know, some time ago, my wife and I were actually still engaged, and we were doing an interview in Boston, Massachusetts. And somehow we were so we were just engaged, I think that was like the month after we were engaged. And we were in the airport, in a different part of the airport, just hanging out and having fun and talking to one another. We were having such a good time. We got distracted. Turns out our flight left us. (laughs) We had no idea because we were so wrapped up in each other that we, we did not notice that the flight was actually happening. Oh, well, Jesus says to us this morning, and Peter writes to tell us, okay, guys, make sure you're sitting in the, in the right part of the airport. I mean, literally, that's, that's how I interpret this. Make sure that you are ready for when Jesus returns. Make sure that you are ready. Make sure you are in. But the other thing that we see Peter saying this morning is that he said, we need to live our lives from our Christian beliefs. How many of you know that there are many Christians today who have the right doctrines about God, but not the right practice of their faith? We have the orthodoxy, but not the orthopraxy. We are well learned in our theology. We are well learned in our philosophies, but we have yet to practice the very things that we affirm in doctrine. And what God is saying to you and I this morning is that we need to be living from our beliefs. We need to be living from the things that we say we believe about God. He says, be diligent in verse 14. The Greek word that Peter uses here is a word that means to make every effort. He says, you need to make every effort to do this. You need to put your heart into it. You need to pour your life into it, for otherwise, you drift. Hey, guys, let me tell you this. If we are not fully engaged in loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our might, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to drift. We're going to become callous, we're going to become distracted we're going to lose our spiritual muscle. Some time ago, my wife and I began to watch this show called NCIS LA. How many of you guys have seen that? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm sure the cameras are not on you, and Josh will not see you raising your hand. I'm not giving any permission structure here this morning either. I'm just sharing with you shows that I like to watch. doesn't mean you need to watch it. But there's a character on that show named LL Cool J. And this guy has got some serious biceps. If you guys have seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I made the mistake of saying to my wife that, you know, I think I can build a physique like this. And as time went by, I realized that You know, this is going to take an incredible amount of work to to look like LL Cool J. I had the desire, but I didn't have the time to put in the work that it took to build that kind of physique. And so my wife still looks at me today and wonders, where's the LL Cool J? (laughs) Where, Where did it go? Well, you know what? I didn't spend the time. What Peter is saying to us this morning is that we need to invest ourselves in kingdom-mindedness. We need to invest ourselves in the work of the kingdom. We need to invest ourselves in being diligent to develop our faith. He says, live without spot or blemish and be at peace. What is Peter getting at here this morning? What he's really getting at is he's saying that we need to be spotless. We need to be the pure and the holy bride of Christ. Uh, Let us maintain that same analogy for a little while. The bride of Christ. How many of you guys here are married this morning? How many of you husbands remember that day when you stood at the altar and you looked right forward from this direction and saw the bride dressed in white and coming down to you? If you remember that day well, and I hope you can say, every husband here this morning needs to remember that, otherwise you're in deep trouble. <laughs> like, if you cannot remember that day, you are, you are in trouble. I am sorry to say that. But I remember standing there and my knees were shaking. And then that door, that woman burst through that door, and my life changed forever. That is what Jesus wants us to be doing, waiting for, thrilled about, excited about his coming, to be spotless, to see that white, pure bride coming on the aisle. He says, this is who we are. We are the bride of Christ. And he says, I am coming for a redeemed and restored and righteous church. No spot or wrinkle. So he says, we need to not be like the world but we need to be like Christ. So Christ just this morning, we need to run with Jesus. We need to run with Jesus or otherwise we will become worldly. We need to run with Jesus or otherwise we will become materialistic. We need to run with Jesus otherwise we'll become individualistic. And yes, we need to run with Jesus Otherwise, we lose our footing. David Wells has described this problem in stark terms when he writes that wilderness is that system of values and beliefs, behaviors and expectations in any given culture that have at the very center the fallen human being and that relegate to the periphery every thought about God. He says, worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. He says, modernity is worldliness and it has concealed its values so adroitly in in, in its abundance, in its comforts, in its wizardry of the age that even those who call themselves the people of God are seldom able to recognize it for what it really is that it is, it is so crafted into the wizardry of the age that even the redeemed of God sometimes cannot notice what is happening around them. And many today live in this worldly and its empire mindset, void of truth and void of God, while at the same time thinking that we are in the kingdom of God. If you are thinking with me this morning, you must be asking yourself, Well then, Pastor Brian, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? And first of all, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is that rightful rule of Christ in the hearts of his people, which is the accelerant of hope in a hopeless world. It is the rule of Christ in the hearts of the redeemed people of God, which is the accelerant of hope in a hopeless world. What I'm trying to get across to you this morning is that when you and I believe in God, when we believe in Christ, we are saying that the kingdom of God, the rule of God has taken over all lives. And because of the rule of God, there's an, accelerant of, an acceleration of hope into the world where we live so that people are touched by our lives in a dramatic way so that they see Christ in us and they know that there's a kingdom above all of the kingdoms of this world and that one day, they too can be part of it. And when we truly understand this, what, what it does to us, it, it really re-engineers our anthropology. It really shifts our understanding. What I realized today as I'm standing here with you this morning is that for many of us, the, the, the sense of who we are is driven mostly by this empire thinking that I was describing earlier. It is not driven by kingdom thinking. We see a world around us and we see a time and an age where so many believers are distracted by the things of the world. We are so distracted that we're not noticing the things that are all around us, that are happening around us, the people that are dying every day and going to a crisis eternity. What is God doing? God is redeeming history. And it is striking to me that... The very people who God has called to bear the cross are sometimes choosing to go to war in the name of God. We are called to bear the cross. We are called to be the light of the world. We are called to suffer for the name of Christ. Hey guys, suffering is a very necessary part of the Christian life. God says anyone who lives a godly life in Christ will deal with some persecution, will have to endure some suffering. But many of us want to erase the sufferings and we want instead to live a peaceful and a comfortable life free of conflict. Peter tells us in verse 15, he says, count the patience of God as salvation. What is he saying? He's saying God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is God doing? God is redeeming history. God is saving lives. And God says we need to be part of his salvation story. We need to be part of what he is doing in redeeming the world back to Christ. He says there are some who have twisted the word of God to their own destruction. This is what I call loophole thinking. You know that there are people who are going to find a loophole with everything. God gives clear command about something, but they're going to find a loophole, a way to finagle their way around God's word to believe whatever they want so that they have their way. Well, this is what Peter is describing here. But Peter is also telling us to not lose sight of this this truth. That what God is doing in history is bringing salvation to the world and says, you need to be patient. You need to take this moment in history to see God's patience as salvation. Every day that we're still here on this earth is a moment God is waiting for us to be the witnesses that he has called us to be to share the gospel with the people around us. That is why we are here in this beautiful place, in this beautiful time. And if we're not doing that, then something else is happening. We're becoming cold. We're becoming materialistic. We're becoming worldly. Peter says, not only should we have a kingdom-centric posture about the days of our lives here on earth. But he says we should grow in grace. We should grow in grace. What does it mean to grow in grace? It literally means to grow into grace, to seize the moment, to live up to what God has designed for us to do. What is really Peter getting at? He said that the kingdom of God, he says, is a two-sided reality. On the one hand, the kingdom of God is here, And on the other hand, the kingdom of God is coming. And so Peter says that we need to grow into the reality of what God is doing in history. Let me tell you something. How many of you guys have ever heard of Trader Joe's? (laughs) I'm sure you have. It's a trick question. Well, before the virus started, Trader Joe's had this really unique thing that they did. And every Saturday, I would love to go to Trader Joe's. You know why? Because every Saturday, they brought out all these delicious things and they have you taste them. You know, they have all these different uh, macaroni and cheese, chili sauces, uh, different coffee blends and all kinds of different things. And you would come in and you would taste a little bit of it and see if you like it. Well, if you liked it, guess what you did? Come on, guys, you got to do better than that. If you liked it, what do you do? Yeah, you buy it. Well, what, what Jesus is really aiming for and what Peter is really aiming for this morning is that he's saying to us that, hey, you guys, you are out there giving tastes of the kingdom to people all around you. The question is, do they like it? And if they like it, guess what they're going to do? They're going to see the need to turn and to get on their knees and to let Jesus be the Lord of their lives, if they like what we're offering. And what I'm noticing around me every single day, as a pastor, but just as a human being, is that Christians have become so distracted, we become so materialistic, that we don't think about what the kingdom of God is all about. Instead, we think about what we are are doing ourselves. So we're distracted, and it's time for us, as a church... To turn back to the light of God and to begin to grow into grace, to grow into what God intended for us when He saved us. Every one of you this morning, when God saved you, however long that was, however recent that was, when God saved you, guess what He did? He put within you a clear purpose and a clear destiny. And he says to you, grow into that. Take ownership of it. Realize it. Live in it. And watch God bless your life for the glory of Jesus Christ. In verse 17, Peter says, Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. Once again, he's using the same word, be diligent. He's used this phrase at least six times in the text. In, in, the, in, in 2 Peter, to, to, to put that sense of urgency within the people to whom he's writing. He says, be diligent. Know your purpose. Live out your purpose. Don't just live life on a daily basis without trajectory, without clarity, without a sense of direction. Live out of a clear purpose. But Peter also says, don't be led away, or carried away rather in the Greek, by the error of sinful people, or wicked people, rather. He said there are people out there who have directions for us. They they, they tell us this is where your life should go. These are the people on television. These are the people who are sort of the, the motivational speakers. They have their own vision of what they think our life should be. But Peter says that there's only one person who gives your life direction, and that is Jesus Christ. And so the question is, what are you connected to? What are you connected to? If you're connected to Jesus, then you're going to see who you really are in Christ, and you're going to walk in his path and in his his ways, and you will realize God's purpose in your life. So as I bring this to a close, I want to challenge you here. Because it's really easy for us, especially those of us who've been in the church for a long time. I mean, how many of you know that when you're in the church, I mean, you've heard, you've heard this stuff all the time. You've heard this over and over and over again. You've heard people talk about the coming of God. you, you hear heard about the kingdom of God. You've heard about Jesus Christ. You've heard all of these things in such a repeated way that it just begins to be dull to your ears. And I don't know how to make this any more urgent to you, Christ Jesus, but to say this to you. Peter said to the people of his day, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. I want you to begin to calculate that reality. And he said, a thousand years is like one day. He says, every day that we're living on this earth and we could be here for a thousand years. And Peter says all of that is not even one single day in the sight of God. God is an infinite God. There has never been a time when God was not. There's never been a beginning or an end. God is eternal. Jesus is eternal because Jesus is God. And so we don't, he doesn't count time the way we count time. For us, all of the years of our lives are a long period of time. For God, it's just a a dot on his radar. And so he says, God is doing something in history, but he's coming back into history. And when he does, it could be any moment without notice. Like a thief in the night, everything can change. All of our accounts can be frozen. Lands and houses and possessions washed away. And then the Bible says he's going to make all things new. And as I say that, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys feel like you're excited about the possibility of Christ's return? Or do you go like, oh, man, no, I hope it's not today. <laughs> I, I hope, you know, I have so many things that I need to do in my life. You know, I, I want to be somebody, especially because of you guys who are still single, I know exactly what you're thinking. I want to meet that bride or that husband. And if you, if you haven't got any kids yet, you're thinking, I want to have a kid. Or if you haven't got a house, I want to have that house. You know, we are just, that's the way we are. We're, 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 We're human and we're material and that's not always a bad thing. But what I hope God is saying to you this morning is that he's putting a desire in your heart for the eternal things of God. And that he's saying to you when he returns, will you be ready? He says we need to grow in grace. For some of you, growing in grace means to raise your kids well to stand up to that opportunity and to raise your kids, to to train your kids to walk with God. To run with God and to to grow in grace can also mean for you to join a small group and get connected, get to know somebody, go to John's Hangouts after the service. (laughs) To grow in grace sometimes can mean for you to quit Facebook, and I mean that literally or Twitter, or wherever you do your social media. Anything that is distracting you from seeing Jesus as the one single affection of your life. Or it could be fighting some sin in your life. Whatever that is. Growing in grace could mean starting something new. Starting over again. I mean, don't you love the fact that we serve a God who lets us start over again. No matter where you are, no matter how far you've drifted, God allows us to start all over again. And I pray for you, Christchurch, today that in the power of the Holy Spirit a new work would begin in each of our hearts so that if Christ were to return today, you would say with the Apostle John, even so, Lord Jesus, come. So Father, we pray that our hearts would be raptured with this truth, that in any moment now, uh, the kingdom of God could come with such power and such glory, that our lives would change forever, and we would enter into an age where Jesus Christ is king over everything, and all the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen.